Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey. Good evening from Israel. Um, today, we should be celebrating, I guess depends where you sit on the political uh, spectrum, but we should either be celebrating or commemorating or commiserating that it's exactly one year um, <clears throat> since the last elections. Uh, the last of four elections. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, regardless of where I think a lot of Israelis sit, I think generally there is a feeling that uh, there's there's a happiness that that particular period is behind us, that those four elections, three elections which didn't take us anywhere, and the fourth obviously that led to this uh, so-called unity government um, are behind us. There is some stability. There is a budget, uh, at least for the end of last year and this year, and uh, perhaps in the next couple of months, we'll even be passing for uh, 2023 and 2024. That's uh, starting to be written now by the bureaucrats and the finance ministry and could uh, start to be debated on. They, they're talking about May, uh, perhaps after the Pesach holidays. Um, but uh, we are one year after we have a government, uh, despite some minor wobbles, it's kept relatively intact. Um, there were some who said it wouldn't last very long. I certainly didn't uh, subscribe to that opinion. Um, and it uh, survived today. Uh, in the last week or so, there has been some disagreements. Certainly, there's been some issues which certainly could cause problems. In the last few weeks of the last Knesset, uh, many of the parties, mostly on the left of the coalition, took it in turns to uh, boycott votes, and either they were lost or they were uh, detabled, they were taken off the table at the last minute to make sure that the votes were not lost. Um, but even since the Knesset uh, uh, went on a break, we've seen uh, some squabbles. Uh, one of the biggest ones, although it certainly won't make international headlines, is over the agricultural reform. Uh, agricultural reform is something, is a bit of a flagship policy of both Finance Minister Vidor Liebman and his Yisrael Betenu counterpart, Agricultural uh, Minister Oded Fora. Uh, for many years, ministers in Israel have tried, um, agricultural ministers have tried to lower the cost of living for fruits and vegetables, et cetera, uh, which are just rising all the time. And um, usually the uh, agricultural and the farming lobby uh, fights back against it. It's a very powerful lobby and they have a lot of support in the Knesset, both left and right, uh, opposition and coalition. Um, as things stand, uh, there's been uh, executive powers used to pass through these reforms, but there are threats that as soon as the Knesset um, reconvenes after, I think it's the Passover holiday, uh, they can simply make a law to overrule any executive uh, decision, uh, which makes it not really an, ex an executive decision, but I'm just using that terminology because many of our American viewers will be familiar with it, but let's say a governmental decision. Uh, so there's a big fight ahead uh, there. It does seem that there's uh, talk of some compromise, but again, I should stress, and, and I've been pretty close to some of uh, some of what's gone on the uh, previous years, 
the agriculture and farming lobby is very strong and has been putting up all the stops. And there's talk of those on the left uh, in the Labour Party, especially that if uh, the agricultural reform is not tabled, uh, or it's not put away uh, and stopped, uh, it could cause um, uh, a lot of problems. Don't forget, a lot of the agricultural lands are parts of the kibbutzim, and these are, you know, the base. Some of these are political base uh, for uh, some of the left-wing parties. So that's uh, uh, one of the things that's um, causing a bit of a problem in the coalition. Why this coalition, I believe, will last a certain amount of time was really played out with a poll that was released, I believe, yesterday uh, to coincide with the anniversary of the last elections. And what it does show is that, again, if elections were held according to the results that were uh, that were transmitted from this uh, poll, uh, neither block, neither of the two current blocks would again uh, receive the necessary majority to form a government, which would probably necessitate unless uh, one of the parties from one side was prepared to go across to the other, um, which would necessitate another round of elections. Uh, the, um, the, the Netanyahu-led bloc certainly uh, strengthened by a few. It's now up to about 59, uh, which means it's only two away from a majority. And again, you know, it could be that they'll be able to convince one of the parties currently in the coalition if there were elections. But as things stand again, neither bloc would win. Uh, the, the, the reason why neither would get 60 uh, is because the joint list uh, would get would remain, I think, on its power of about six, would ensure neither bloc could uh, have a majority without them, and they're not going to join either bloc to form a coalition. So we are where we stand. The other reason that we're not going to elections, and ironically, there is stability, is because of the weakness of this current government. When I say weakness, I'm talking about according to the polls. None of the parties in the polls have managed to extend their leads from their current uh, support at the moment. Maybe one here, one there, minus one here, minus one there. But on the whole, none of the parties in the current coalition have been able to you know, deliver uh, too much, seemingly, this is, I guess, how the voter would see it, uh, to be able to gain a significant support. Naftali Bennett's party, again, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's party, which has a current strength of six, according to the recent poll, would remain maintained that six. So again, even though he's prime minister, he hasn't uh, managed to increase his support. In fact, when asked who is the most suitable person to be prime minister, I think he gets in the teens, in the, in the mid-teens uh, of percentage of support. And out front again, uh, as has been for quite a number of years, is former uh, prime minister Netanyahu. It, it doesn't seem to have affected uh, his uh, uh, stance, even though he is today the opposition leader. Speaking of uh, Netanyahu, uh, the, the, the news of his trial returned to the headlines today. One of the most significant state witnesses, um, uh, Shlomo Filber took the stand, who was a confidant and a close advisor to uh, Netanyahu, um, who basically is, according to his statement, he, claimed, uh, he, he was part uh, of the witness the, state, uh, the state's uh, arguments against Netanyahu in uh, what's called uh, Case 4000. Case 4000, as we know, is the most serious against Netanyahu, where they're trying to, uh, the, 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 um, the accusations by the state is that he uh, ensured that there was positive, there was a regulation in favor of Bezek for good coverage or, uh, in the media. Bezek is the communications, the, the 
internet and phone line uh, monopoly to a certain extent in Israel, uh, but the head of it also ran Walla, which is a major communications channel in Israel. And the accusation is, is that Netanyahu, while in power, ensured that uh, regulations to uh, lessen the monopoly of Bezek would be stopped uh, in exchange for good um, coverage of Netanyahu in the media. Uh, uh, Shlomo Filber certainly had suggested in his uh, witness statements today that, um, that uh, he was asked uh, to do something along those lines. Obviously, the, uh, the, um, the defense is going to have a, have a, a go at Shlomo Filber in the next few days, so we'll see how much of his testimony stands up at court. But again, just to demonstrate, even though we're in the middle of corruption, uh, trials, fraud, uh, breach of trust, et cetera, it doesn't seem to have dampened the enthusiasm for uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu. Obviously, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the devastating terrorist attack that happened, that took place in Beershev yesterday. It's the worst terror attack in Israel for a number of years. Four Israelis were stabbed or rammed by a car to death by a resident of a Bedouin town uh, called Hura, in the south near Beersheba, uh, the, the, the assailant, the terrorist who was uh, shot by two civilians who happened to be nearby and carried guns, um, apparently was a member of ISIS. Um, he'd spent four years in jail for being a member of ISIS and was let, was let out, I believe, in uh, 2019. Uh, there's a lot of question marks about exactly how uh, this terrorist attack wasn't prevented. The police and the security uh, agencies have said that he was being monitored, but displayed no uh, obvious or outward signs that he'd been radicalized, that he was planning a terrorist attack. At the end of the day, you know, a person with a motivation just has to pick up a knife. That, that, that's pretty much all he did. It wasn't a sophisticated attack. There was, it didn't involve any sort of, uh, you know, uh, equipment that anyone couldn't get their hands on. Um, but there are certainly questions which are being asked when some of the government ministers attended the funerals today. Um, there was, as one can imagine, um, acrimonious uh, recriminations against uh, uh, some of them. Uh, uh, bizarrely, the internal security manage, uh, minister, uh, when he spoke at the, the, at, the, um, at the funeral of one of the uh, victims, he said that uh, the perpetrator will, will be apprehended and sent to prison for many years which caused a lot of people to wonder what he was talking about, considering he was shot to death at the scene. Uh, he claimed that he'd just been uh, involved in many, many meetings and he was overtired and he got uh, the facts wrong. Um, but there's certainly a lot of anger, especially in the South, where uh, a lot of people felt that this was uh, you know, just going to happen. There's a lot of violence down in the South, especially within the Arab and Bedouin communities. <coughs> uh, much of it is just uh, intra-Arab clan fighting. Uh, a lot of it has spilled over into some of the, uh, the Jewish majority cities and towns uh, and even Beersheba. Obviously, this isn't, uh, uh, you know, th those are more uh, sort of, um, as I said, intra-clan uh, and mafia-related um, incidents. But uh, there are those who felt that the police and the security agencies had not been paying sufficient attention uh, to what was going on and allowed this, this attack to take place. Again, you know, you could be more charitable and say that this didn't take a lot of planning. It was just one person. It seems so far that the person acted alone and uh, just picked up a knife and decided to perpetrate uh, an attack. Uh, according to the Israeli media who went to Hura today, they couldn't find too many people who went to the morning tent 
the family of the perpetrator, uh, apparently, according to uh, many people in the town, including the mayor and the, and the sheikh and, and others, that they completely disowned the perpetrator. They claimed that he was not acting as a true Muslim. And there's certainly, uh, according to the cameras who watched the house to see how many people were visiting <coughs> the traditional morning tent, it, doesn't, it didn't seem like uh, uh, the act, at least publicly, was, uh, was, was too popular. Uh, finally, before we go to questions, uh, uh, just, a, just a little bit about something which is um, really stirring a lot of opinion in Israel is the thought and the uh, what's, what's being released is the, uh, the American administration uh, to take out the, revol uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards from its list of terrorist organizations. We know uh, a while ago, the Houthis, um, the Iranian-backed militias uh, involved in the civil war in uh, Yemen and who've actually launched missiles even um, uh, over the UAE and other Gulf allies uh, were already take off, uh, taken off the list. And Israel is pretty much seething behind the scenes and not even just behind the scenes at uh, this possibility. Uh, it led to quite an extraordinary uh, communique, official press release, official statement by the Prime Minister and alternate Prime Minister and uh, Foreign Minister Yale Lapid, really going quite tough on the Americans. I don't think we've seen a press release, a statement, a communique like this in many years. It was uh, pretty scathing. Uh, they called it, uh, uh, I, I can't remember the exact words, but they brought up the many victims of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, are potentially responsible for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths in Iran, uh, in the region. You know, they're, they're funding, they're assisting, they're helping what happened in uh, Syria Bashar, with Bashar al-Assad's uh, civil war massacres against his own people, uh, working closely with Hezbollah in, in, uh, in Lebanon, working with some of the Shiite um, groups in uh, Iraq, and obviously the Houthis again in Yemen. So. To take them off the list is certainly something Israel considers, not just practically speaking, that they can uh, receive money and uh, they won't be under sanctions, etc. It just sends a terrible message. But the Americans are arguing that uh, it's necessary, it's an evil necessity to get back to the JCPOA. Uh, there does seem to be a note of pessimism from the Americans at this point about returning to the JCPOA, which seemed to be all but signed, uh, sealed and delivered. Uh, the Iranians are certainly playing games, but it does seem at this point that the Americans are prepared to compromise to get this uh, deal over the line. And that's what really worries Amer uh, Israeli leaders at the moment greatly. We saw quite an extraordinary um, uh, trilateral meeting in, uh, in Cairo between um, the Egyptian president, the UAE leader, and Naftali Bennett, and certainly Iran, and these kind of issues and the JCPOA and the, the potential removal of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards from the US sanctions list was certainly the, were certainly top of that agenda. Uh, so it, sees, it, it, it just demonstrates, uh, which we've been talking about for quite, quite a while, that uh, in the region now today, you know, what would have seemed extremely unlikely a couple of years ago, that uh, senior Arab leaders from around the region are willing to be photographed and uh, release official statements of meetings uh, between them. Uh, and really, they're on one page when it comes uh, to Iran. I'm really trying to send a message to um, the West uh, in general, and the US in, in particular, that they stand firm against Iran and they're uh, displeased 
about the way things are shaping up with the return to the JCPOA. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, thank you. Uh, we have quite a few questions coming in. Uh, Malka asks, please comment on the or, yeah, please comment on the reaction in Israel to Zelensky's address to the Knesset. Yes, um, I did mention that, but certainly that was a big event over the last few weeks. A Ukrainian president addressed uh, by Zoom, obviously, um, most members of Knesset. Interestingly enough, the only ones who boycotted it were the joint list led by its communist faction called Hadash, which, uh, as we could expect, are very much still in this, uh, you know, Cold War Soviet mindset where Russia can do no wrong. So they kind of, uh, you know, slammed it as propaganda and said that they would boycott the, um, the address. Uh, it, it wasn't a shock, really, because anyone who's seen uh, President Zelensky's um, uh, you know, sort of speech just to parliaments around the world, he, he, he takes a tough line. And he asks, where are you? You know, are people are killed? Uh, are people are dying? You know, why are you sending us weapons? And sort of uh, very accusatory, which is fair enough. You know, he is under attack and his people are dying. Uh, what really sort of uh, a lot of people in Israel felt went too far in the comparisons with the Holocaust. Um, towards the end of his speech, he did use some analogies uh, with the Holocaust, claiming the Russians calling their operations the final uh, solution that this is genocide, this is like the Holocaust. Uh, but the, the thing that really stood out for many is the, what he said, that Israel should stand by Ukraine, just like Ukrainians stood by the Jews in the Second World War. Now, anyone who understands the history of the Second World War and the Holocaust will know that, yes, absolutely, there were some Ukrainian righteous amongst the nations, as there were Germans, Poles, and others. But the majority of Ukrainians involved in some way were, were perpetrators, were people who willingly assisted uh, the Nazis in, in the targeting of Jews. So a lot of people pointed that out. And I, I think that he, he definitely won't have won many points for that. Um, there was quite a bit of pushback from some of the uh, MKs. And there's been quite a few articles that said that, you know, it, it was misplaced. Uh, it, everything was going well until he started bringing up those analogies and even claiming that Israel should act like the Ukrainians. Uh, in the Second World War. So it was a bit of a backfire, and we could see that even uh, President Zelensky himself understood this because I think it was a couple of hours later, he put out a tweet basically saying, no, we, we like Israel, we trust Prime Minister Bennett and what he's trying to do. We understand their situation, really trying to lower the, the tensions a little bit because I think uh, it was understood that the, the feeling. Uh, but still, there's, there's you know, daily... Uh, Ukrainian officials are trying to put pressure on Israel, as they are, I'm sure, many other places around the world to try and help in some way more than they are doing. We, we saw interviews with the Ukrainian ambassador, who once again said, if the, uh, the role of Israel as a, as a, a sort of uh, mediator uh, falls to the wayside, we expect Israel to start taking an active role. Uh, as we, we heard tonight, uh, Naftali Bennett was on the phone with uh, uh, President Putin in Russia, so he's still very much involved in that role. He's still trying to be a mediator, trying to relay messages, trying to see if there are opportunities to, to be some sort of peacemaker. So Israel is still very much uh, seen in that role, whether there will be um, some sort of summit uh, in Jerusalem, I doubt. Uh, but that's still being talked about at one level or another. 
Thank you so much. And as a follow up to that, has there been any updates to the Ukrainian refugee uh, policies in the Knesset? Yes, I mean, there's sort of there's two sides uh, in Israel to this. Some who are saying that Israel aren't doing enough. Some who are saying that Israel is doing too much. Uh, Israel is taking in per capita more than many countries in the world, if not most countries, if not almost all countries. Certainly better than many countries in Western Europe, and better than, uh, as I said, almost every country in the world per capita uh, than those uh, immediately bordering uh, uh, the Ukraine itself. Um, you know, Israel's taken in, I think, about 14,000 so far. Uh, Interior Minister Mila Sheked was in the Knesset today explaining uh, the policies, explaining what it's doing, and it is spending a lot of money on, on bringing in refugees and helping them, but it's also spending a lot of resources to help on the ground. This week, Israel inaugurated, I'm pretty sure it's the largest field hospital on the uh, territory of Ukraine itself. Uh, which is really going to be quite a lifesaver for many people. Um, and so Israel is doing quite a lot. Israel's at the borders. You know, I, I know a lot of people in the foreign ministry, regardless of the countries that they're involved in, they're, they're traveling out to the, to the region to help in any way they can. There are many Israeli organizations, humanitarian aid organizations who are helping. So Israel is doing a lot. Israel is doing probably pound for pound, more than the overwhelming majority of countries in the world. Uh, but for some reason, Israel is being watched over by some as if they should be doing more uh, than you know, even, even uh, some of the countries which are, are claiming to be doing uh, much against uh, Russia are actually doing. Thank you so much. And switching gears a little bit, Jack Wasserman, as well as Viv, asked Basically, why do you think the U.S. is so hell-bent on renewing the JCPOA? Well, don't forget that there's a lot of people in this administration, including many of those who are directly involved in the negotiations, who are left over from the Obama years. And don't forget President Obama. This was one of the main pillars of his foreign policy, quote-unquote, achievements during, during his time. Uh, so they are hell-bent on getting back to the JCPOA after President Trump left it during his tenure. Um, they believe strongly that the best way to stop Iran from uh, acquiring nuclear weapons, or at least pushing, kicking the can, as it were, uh, down the road, hoping in some miracle that there'll be some moderation in the Iranian leadership, or who knows, even some change in the Iranian leadership in those couple of years. Um, but it's, it, it, it didn't work the first time. Iran, Iran cheated from the first day, um, and now Iran are pretty much almost uh, a nuclear threshold state. They have um, enriched uranium almost enough for nuclear, uh, nuclear capability, nuclear weapons capability. As I've said previously, that doesn't mean that tomorrow they're ready to launch a missile because it will take at least another couple of years um, for them to be able to weaponize it, uh, to be able to put it on missiles, etc. Um, so we're not, we're not necessarily there, but uh, uh, you know, the, the Americans do believe in it, or at least the, this administration and the negotiators still left at the table very much believe in this, regardless of what the Iranians are dragging their feet, are pushing ahead, are, you know, uh, being antagonistic and violent and, uh, um, ar around the region. Uh, but there are some who still believe that the only way, as we've seen failing to, to a certain extent with Russia, that sometimes negotiations and diplomacy, unfortunately, do not work in, in this day, even in this day and age. 
Um, but there are those who, regardless of reality, regardless of what's going on in the ground, still believe that the only way to stop uh, Iran's nuclear ambitions is around the negotiating table. Thank you. Reuven Hawk asks, do you know anything about a report that the American administration is negotiating with Russia to remove some sanctions in exchange for Russian support for the Iranian agreement? There has been, there has been talked about. Uh, certainly the Russians are using the JCPOA uh, for their own aims. At the end of the day, when the Americans in the West, the, P, the P5 plus one, um, are talking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, sanctioning uh, diplomatically, financially, the Russian leadership. They are sitting across the table from the Russians on this, uh, on this, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, these negotiations to return to the JCPOA. So the Russians are certainly using it as an as an excuse, and the Americans would rather uh, not sanction, or, or would rather allow some of the sanctions to be relieved in uh, what would be a final deal, a return to the JCPOA, in return uh, uh, for a return to the deal. So there are certainly some in Israel which are a little bit uh, baffled by this, or maybe not baffled is the right word, but certainly uh, angry by this, because as we're being told, we're, you know, we're not doing enough sanctions on Russia. Uh, there are negotiations taking place in Vienna where the West, uh, which is you know, very vociferous uh, verbally, uh, about the sanctions are actually possibly allowing uh, the relief of certain sanctions in return for Russian support uh, to return to the JCPOA. Thank you. Carrie Hillebrand asks, will the government make a last ditch effort to block or at least modify the upcoming Iranian agreement? Well, there's, there's nothing, uh, the Israeli government can't block it and it can't really modify it. Don't forget, Israel is not a party to the negotiations. We're not at the table. Uh, we're certainly making our, our concerns clear to not just the US, but the other members of the P5 plus one. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's only a certain amount that Israel can do uh, because we're not party to the negotiations. But Israel has said that it will not be bound by any agreement or anything agreed to in the Vienna talks. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're certainly making their the, the point across the Israeli government through diplomatic channels and, and others, but at the end of the day, there's nothing Israel really can do to, to block the agreement. Thank you. Uh, Eric brings us back to when you were speaking about Bennett uh, meeting in Egypt and the UAE. Do you have any ideas on what was discussed specifically? As I said, a, a lot of it will be around Iran, will be a concern about the return to the JCPO, will be a concern about the possible removal of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards from the US sanctions list. Uh, that, that's an area, as I said, where, where you know, many of these countries, which Israel has either new relations or certainly deepening and warmer relations as it does with Egypt, um, is around the Iranian uh, threat. So that will be, I think, a big part of it. But even, even today, I have to say that Israel and Egypt is finding a lot of common cause in many other issues, whether it's energy issues, uh, climate issues, uh, fighting extremism uh, uh, in the region and even on the issue of Gaza. So there's there's a lot to talk about, but Iran will certainly be one of the main, would have been one of the main agenda points during that meeting. 
did just mention it'll take a while before it's actually weaponized uh, the nuclear capabilities, but Stuart Broad asked, do you believe that the extraordinarily toothless JCPOA number two, as it's being described in the media, will make a general Mideast war between Iran and Israel an inevitability, as historian and former ambassador Michael B. Oren predicts? I don't think anything's inevitable uh, because there's a lot of things that can be done. Uh, only, I think it was... Uh, recently, or it was just released recently, that Israel managed to take out, I think, something like 200 drones, Iranian drones, which are considered extremely important for Iran's response to Israel's uh, potential aerial bombardment, and the fact that Israel was able to take out so many drones without shedding any blood on either side. It's quite remarkable, which shows that Israel is able to do a lot of things to try and thwart um, Iran's conventional or non-conventional uh, threat. So nothing, nothing's inevitable, um, but uh, so I, I don't necessarily agree that it will make it inevitable. Uh, would it make it more likely? Possibly. Um, but I think once the JCPO is returned to, if it is returned to, and I think it's still increasingly likely that it will be, um, it actually even stays Israel's hand because it's going to be very hard for Israel to launch an all-out attack, especially receiving some sort of green light or at least not a red light from the Americans while they are actually under agreement uh, with the Iranians. So in one sense, it makes it less likely, at least during the time span of the JCPOA. What happens afterwards, that's uh, another uh, discussion completely. Thank you. And Stephen Orlo asks, U.S. Ambassador Niles recently stated his politics are in sync with Americans for Peace Now. How is the Ambassador Niles being received in Israeli government circles? Well, I mean, it's still it's still early days. He's still uh, relatively new to the post. He didn't necessarily say his politics were sick. He did describe himself as left or left of center, whereas probably Peace Now would be pretty far left. Um, he did say some comments which were certainly picked apart by especially those on the right of the Israeli map about um, a settlement building being stupid, or I can't remember the exact word he used, and that was certainly picked up by many on the right as, you know, really taking aside the fact that he was speaking to Peace Now, and he said that he wouldn't speak to certain members of the government. He didn't identify who those members of the government were, but the fact that he even said to an organization like Peace Now, whose heyday really was the 80s and the 90s, and today are a largely irrelevant force in Israeli politics, but he went there and spoke very warmly to them and while saying that he wouldn't meet, uh, or maybe he used the words he wouldn't be happy to meet, um, certain members of the Israeli government certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have uh, gone down too well uh, with the Israeli government. So there are a lot of people uh, who heard the recordings or heard the statements uh, that the ambassador made will certainly uh, not be particularly happy by some of the things uh, that he said there, but I'm sure behind closed doors, I'm sure some of those things are being queried by Israeli officials uh, and they were probably hoping to receive a satisfactory answer from the ambassador and his team. Thank you so much. That brings us to the close for our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Uh, for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Paul Miller discussing what does just war theory say about the Middle East policy? Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.